So a lot of my clients will be living at home because, again, culturally, that's kind of what's expected. But it's like they pay rent with their mental health. Hi, my name's Alyssa. And my name is Bridget. And you're listening to Money Feels, the podcast where we bring in an expert to help us learn all about setting boundaries instead of doing all of this work by ourselves. It's getting to be too much. (laughs) Are you tired? I love setting boundaries. As you know, I'm like the boundary queen on Instagram now. That's true. You're really good with your boundaries online, but are you good with your boundaries with money? I have no idea, which is actually why I'm so excited to have this discussion. Should we introduce our guest? Yeah. So... We have Parween here with us today, and she is a money coach, and she specializes in financial coaching for women of color from immigrant upbringings, and she's an accredited financial counselor, and she's also a certified trauma of money practitioner, just like Bridget and I, so we have the same little background, and we're excited to have you here today, Parween. Thanks, Alyssa. Thanks, Bridget. I'm very, very excited to be here today, and yeah, just be sort of all trauma of money alumni. Oh, yeah. Were you, what cohort were you in? Were you in ours? The very first one. What? The very first one. Yeah. I've known Chantel for a few years now. I kind of viewed her as like my mentor to an extent. And then when she came out with this program, I was like, oh, yeah, like I want to learn about this. And so it was the first cohort. Yeah. That's so cool. That's so cool. And I think we were in five. I don't even know. See, yeah, I don't know why I asked sure. that question because people will tell me theirs and I'm like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but I, was I think it's one. so cool because I think like so much maybe of the curriculum has changed too since when I took it. And so a part of me does want to kind of go back and just kind of see like what I've missed out on um, in that time. Yeah, it sounds like they change it every single cohort or at least like mm-hmm. add new things as they come, which I, yeah. I feel like is so cool. Um, well, okay, let's talk about how our money feels today. Who wants to go first? Bridget? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody all at once. <laughs> yeah, like no one volunteers. Um, I think mine is okay. I don't know. I'm so busy this week. I'm honestly not even thinking about my money like at all. Like, Did I'm, you cancel not your wor- dentist appointment today? No, I, I went to it. I ran to oh, it after did. the class I was teaching. I made them move it half an hour earlier. And I ran to it after the class I taught. And then I ran home and I got on here. I haven't even had lunch because I, I also can't <gasps> eat for an hour after... Mm. whatever the clean so no it's so money's a terrible just day. not a priority right now <laughs> no and like even at the dentist's office I didn't I don't know how much it was because they just charged my card and insurance on file so they were like we emailed you the receipt and I'm like okay cool so I don't I don't even know what I spent today all right so free feels, free falling no feelings on the money <laughs> <laughs> that's not a bad thing we can't have feelings about it every day yeah I'll, I'll have feelings about it next week I guess. Okay. When I'm okay. less busy. What about you? How does your money feel? Mine is good. When I was I was talking to Chantel before this call and that's what I said to her. I was like, I feel like I've come so far. Like the last few times we've chatted about money at the start of the podcast, I'm like, I don't feel anything bad. Like it's all good. Everything's okay. I'm not stressing about it. And that is continuing. So I'm not going to jinx it and I'm not going to question it. I'm just going to go mm-hmm. with it. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. You have come so far. Good for you, Alyssa. Thanks. How about you, Parween? Yeah, I would say my money feels pretty mixed right now. And the reason for that is I'm more so prioritizing investing 
right now. And that's kind of a shift for me where I spent most of my 20s just saving for larger purchases like my wedding and like a down payment because home ownership was important to me and my husband. And so now I've really kind of shifted away from like just kind of like saving a bunch of money to like I'm <laughs> investing it. And then my savings kind of stay the same. And I'm like, oh, this is really weird. Um, so I'm kind of like mm. in this weird phase right now. But it's exciting too because I'm like, yeah, I get to invest. I'm like, hopefully hit that coast fire or, or fine. I don't know. If it's fire. <laughs> yeah. uh, number you talk of, <laughs> yeah, of like 100K. And so, yeah, that's kind of, I'm just feeling a bit mixed about that. It's different. Uh, are you trying to oh. hit coast fire by 35 too? Uh, even earlier, I think by like next yes. year. Ooh, I love <gasps> yeah. it. That's yeah. exciting. It's so exciting. Yeah. Congrats. So it was weird, but yeah, it's cool. I mean, those are good feelings. I feel like that's none true. of that is a bad thing. That's true. I think just like, for myself, when it comes to the idea of like saving, that's been so heavily ingrained in me, which is like there needs to be so much money in my savings account, and that makes me feel secure. Um, you know, scarcity trauma. Um, and so it's a bit weird for me to just kind of see that number stay the same and yeah. like not grow, even though it's growing in other areas. Um, it's just it's a bit of a weird mental thing for me. Yeah. Do you not feel your investments are savings? though or because the balance goes up and down that's what makes you anxious i think it's kind of like it, it's up and down and i also don't view that money as accessible right i'm like, okay that's kind of like oh, locked, interesting. locked away okay. right whereas like my savings like oh if anything were happen like that's where i can go to um oh yeah yeah that's a good point i guess i never thought that. <laughs> <laughs> i was like i can just sell it and then it's accessible which i guess it is like to an extent yeah for sure but I think it's like that ease of access to the savings. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. Like savings that. is like an e-transfer away. <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah, totally. Immediate. Okay. Well, I feel like I want to jump in with the first question just being talking about people pleasing and how it impacts our ability to set financial boundaries, because I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with. So do you want to talk a little bit about your experience with that maybe, or maybe all of us can share our experiences with that. I know Bridget's definitely not a people pleaser, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I I'm sitting here sweating. <laughs> I'm like, what do I say? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I'll start with Parveen and maybe you can just touch a little bit on your experience with that if you have one. And also just in general, how people pleasing impacts those boundaries that we try to set with our money. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. So I am a daughter from an immigrant household. I'm a South Asian daughter. And so there was always this expectation to kind of be there for my family um, and kind of um, uphold sort of these sort of good and honorable traits, which is that you sacrifice yourself for the purpose of others, right? If someone else needs help, like you are the first to step in. And when you don't adhere to those expectations, it's like you're shamed or you feel or you're made to feel guilty about that. And so I kind of categorize that as good daughter trauma to an extent. Um <laughs> Which is like we were so – it was so ingrained in us to obey and to put ourselves last. Um, and I think that just comes up with our finances too in the realm of people-pleasing, like you said, where, you know, we're the first ones to grab the bills. We're the first ones to like, lend money out if someone asks for it. We're overspending on gifts. And a phenomenon that I kind of see with my clients as well is sort of this financial savior complex, which is that we're the first ones to just put our hand up. Tell be like, you need help? Like, here it is. Like, I can support you, even if that hurts us financially. So, and is, is leave, that for yeah. anyone, or is that like your family that you do that? Like, do you pick up the bills for your parents? I still think parents are supposed to pay for dinner and stuff. 
I think parents have to do that the rest of their lives, personally. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think like culturally, there is sort of this expectation that, and I think maybe it's more like the being a kid of immigrant parents, which is that our parents for so long sacrificed so much and worked really hard to kind of give us the opportunities that we get for us to yeah. have a salaried position or whatever it may be, um, that there's just this inherent guilt that we feel to be, well, we need to pay them back. And whether or not that's sort of coming from them or not, it, it's just something that we feel. Um, right. And it's just, I think it's, it's a cultural thing. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel, I sometimes do pick up the bills for my parents too. Like, I feel like because they're retired now, I'm like, they don't have access to as much as I do. Or, you know, they've, yeah, it is that just, I want to give back because they've given so much to me. Oh, I try and my parents often don't even let me. But this is probably a side tangent. So sorry if I'm taking us off course of the topic <laughs> of conversation. But one thing I think is really interesting that I didn't even think about until I was like further along in adulthood is one thing that I do admire about other cultures and immigrant families is often they take such good care of their kids even like well into adulthood like they let them live at yeah. home for a really long yeah. time and there's just a lot of financial support like well into adulthood and I think that really sets them up for life and then I think in white families and I didn't even realize this was like a white cultural thing like they're so about kicking their kids out at like 18 or 20, like very young and being like, you're on your own. We're not supporting you. And that's what my parents did to me. And when I was younger, like the messaging that they conveyed and how I interpreted it is they were teaching me independence and it was so good. And so I was better prepared for the world than kids that live at home. And now I'm like, nah, I wish I could have lived at home till 25. Like I'm going to let my daughter live at home for so long. So that's something I actually really admire about other cultures, but I can also see how you're mentioning that would foster the like guilt that you have to pay them back because that support is so significant yeah. and for so long. Yeah. And I think that also kind of leads to the idea of that our parents support us through our adulthood. And it's very normal for us to live at home until we get married and move out. Like that's totally acceptable. But there's the expectation that in retirement, we are their retirement plan. Um, right. And so oh. it's that we support them in retirement. Right. And again, it's not the case for every, every immigrant family, of course, but when you think about just the financial education accessibility our parents had, like they didn't know what an RSP was. Some of them still don't have one. Some are still working two jobs, right? Minimum wage, mm -hmm. just trying to like make it work. And so there's this expectation that, yes, we got this golden opportunity to save and be at home, but we're going to be paying that back to them into our adulthood, uh, where it is very cultural. It, it's the expectations that we take care of our elders as well. And is that is a conversation that, that you have or is that just, yeah, it's just an expectation or is that like something that explicitly you talk about? It's interesting. It's, it's, it's unsaid to an extent. And I would also, is probably a gender role here, which is that sons do more so have that expectation on them to take care of their parents, um, you know, after they're married and like then parents are into retirement. However, in my case, I'm the eldest daughter, um, and I'm probably the one that's going to be the most responsible financially to take care of them. And so I already know for myself, like, that's going to come on me. Like, I don't have the expectation on my siblings um, to be able to be there for my parents, like, where I might be able to. Is it that transactional, like, where it's like, we did this for you, so we expect you to do 
that for us? Or is it kind of like just a family culture where you're like, everyone takes care of the family and this is just the way that it is? Or is there like the keeping score of how much and who's going to do what? I think it's a little bit of both. Like I think toxic family mentality would be that it's very transactional (laughs) like hey we do this to you and like you owe us this and that definitely definitely comes up when leading to sort of like the guilt that we feel with our finances if we're taking opportunities of spending money or doing things that they weren't able to do and that's used against us but there's also oh, I no. think like this like yeah I know <laughs> that's harsh also, I think, like, there's dad. like yeah the best thing is like there's like like kind of beautiful community aspect which is mm-hmm. like you know it's like the many over the one um and that's just kind of again culturally what's been kind of established um but i think it's like it can become toxic absolutely when it becomes like that transactional i did this you must do this for me what do you feel like you recommend to people who are in this situation so if there is that expectation and they're a little bit worried about it like that is a lot of responsibility sitting on your shoulders it's a lot of stress because you're now worrying about saving for your own retirement and two other people potentially so like what do you usually tell people in these situations yeah i think even before we even get into the retirement question it's like even the day-to-day month-to-month expenses at home so a lot of my clients will be living at home because again culturally that's kind of what's expected but it's like they pay rent with their mental health was like a question that was like a statement (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh Oh my god that's such a good term i'm gonna use that forever that's you're so right. Oh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so in that, again, it's like, yes, they're not paying for rent, but then, you know, they're grabbing Uber Eats for the whole family on Fridays or like they're overspending in other ways to kind of compensate. And mm-hmm. that's where it starts to eat into like their ability to save or pay off debt today. And so one thing I always recommend to my clients is setting up a separate family sinking fund. So a sinking fund is a separate savings account, um, for those who don't know, um, with a designated purpose. And so we do that for their family. And so we put away whatever's in their budget that we have allocated into that family fund. And I and we view that money as it's not theirs. Right. right? So I'm like, if your parents were to ask you or you need to like lend money, right, we can give that money away without feeling resentful because the rest of your needs are taken care of and protected. This is what can go. Um, and so that's one boundary that I help my clients set up is just sort of the family sinking fund. I love that because I also think that it's important to create those accounts where if your money's physically separated, then it's like mentally separated too. Because yes. if there's money in that account, you don't feel like mom and dad are taking from money you are going to spend on yourself. Mm-hmm. Like you might feel the yes. resentment otherwise, but if you've dedicated yes. it, you've already mentally separated yourself from it. And then if they need money or you have to pay for something, you're like, yeah, whatever. Cause mentally and emotionally and psychologically, you've already let it go. So I think that's really healthy. Exactly. And I think the other thing that I find is that if you're someone that's currently avoiding their finances and don't really have like control over your money, or you feel really overwhelmed about the idea of like trying to figure out where everything's going right now, that also kind of breeds this like yes mentality where you're giving money away too because you just only have control what's going on so you're just like sure like you need money here take it Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so I find that with my clients when we kind of get them on a plan like we have their goals set out we have like their budgets and all this and like they have that structure that that they've been missing they can then start they I just kind of see it happen whereas like they'll start to say no 
themselves because they'll be like, no, like this is kind of going against like what I need for myself, right? Um, and they're able to set up those boundaries for themselves. But it's because they finally start to feel a little bit more in control with their money. Whereas before they're feeling so overwhelmed that like, mm-hmm. like it's like they didn't really have that uh, mentality to kind of say no. Yeah, they didn't have the bandwidth to even no. recognize what they were doing with their finances no, in the first place. No, absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely not. Is there any other unique kind of money challenges that are also related to these boundaries that are faced specifically by first and second generation women of color that you notice with a lot of your clients? Yeah, I think it's like the idea of scarcity and not having enough money. I think feels like it's something a little bit different for kids that may come from a lineage of, you know, colonization, um, poverty, displacement, immigration, all these things. Because I think it's the idea that it's ingrained in us that money is a tool for survival. Yes, but also this idea that money can be taken away at any moment. Like Mm -hmm. there's just like this distrust in the world to take Mm -hmm. care of our money and always be there for us. And I think even for myself personally, I look at the generational trauma that's kind of like in my lineage. Um, so my grandparents were in Pakistan during the partition of India, which was basically when the British were like, okay, we're leaving India now. And like, we're going to split you guys into two states and we've taken everything that we want to take. No surprise. <laughs> um, and they just like left, you know, the world like that. Um, and in that time, it was just, yeah, grandparents like lost, well, grandpa lost his job, like loss of wealth, just like it was gone. And then, my dad then immigrated to Canada. And again, same idea, survival mode, very minimal pay, living paycheck to paycheck, this idea that money isn't always there and available to us. Mm-hmm. And then here comes my generation where I'm looking at all this and I'm going, damn, I need to like hoard my money. I need to yeah. like to save all of it um, and never spend it. And I think that's what kind of manifests for a lot of my clients too, which is this anxiety parting with our money. But on the other side, money and accumulating money doesn't feel safe because it feels like someone can just take it away at any time. And so I've had clients be like, hey, when I see this money in my savings account, I just feel like spending it. Mm -hmm. So at least when I spend it, I have control over it versus someone else coming in or something else coming in and taking it away from me. Yeah, Yeah, that is so interesting. I was just going to say the exact same words, (laughs) but this is making me think of a lot of the articles that keep coming up in the Toronto Star's Millennial Money series because I love to. uh, I've seen you do that TikTok. Yeah, Yeah, that's like my favorite Monday TikTok video. We just go over the Millennial Monday, uh, the Toronto Star, and a lot of them that are featured. First of all, like everyone that submits their money to that, like has money trauma. Like healthy people aren't Mm -hmm. like tear apart my finances in the newspaper, but a lot of them are (laughs) like first generation Canadians or they're the children of immigrants. And you see, like I even remember one; she had a three hundred thousand dollars salary, and was living so frugally, and and was so upset at like income taxes and stuff like she was not spending like any of it it was crazy for that amount to quite literally not enjoy any of her, the money she was earning and also I think it was that one it might have been in another story where the kid like submitted their finance and they're like okay I'm saving up for a house for myself and also I want to buy a house for my parents in the GTA and I'm like wow and oh, yeah it's like you said yeah. that's the culture of children of immigrants or first generation Canadians whereas I would never do that I'd be like get your own house mom and dad <laughs> <laughs> well it's very likely your parents would already have a house because they and, have an yeah, experience that same 
both of my parents have like paid off houses that have appreciated bananas because that was the boomer way, right? Mm -hmm. And so like all of this does lead to immense, I feel like immense amounts of guilt because it's Mm -hmm. like, how can I let go of feeling like this is my responsibility? So how do you feel like, because for me, I like, I even have guilt about spending money and for me, it's like, why do I feel this way? Like, I've never questioned that before. So I just started questioning, like, why do I feel guilty about this? Like, I've never yeah. even asked that before. So how do you feel like you can kind of release those limiting money beliefs that we might have inherited from our family or from our culture? Yeah, I think the first step is just bringing awareness to what those beliefs are. And this is something I do with my clients as well. And this is probably the most powerful shift because even the concept of like, I need to save every dollar or spending money is bad. They'll be like, well, that's what my dad did, right? Or that's what my mom taught me. And then we get to question like, okay, is this belief yours or something that you've just inherited or witnessed over time? And then from there, being able to get into space of, okay, well, what would your money belief look like here, right? Maybe something a little more balanced. Well, like you are saving like for whatever goals, but you're also able to like buy your Starbucks and like go on a nice vacation or like have like luxe experiences because like that's what you envision money serving you in this lifetime. Um, so I think that's the first step is just like just having the conversation with yourself and like having bringing in that awareness, which is I think unlocks a little bit of like that. Oh, okay. And then you can start to recognize those thoughts moving forward and other aspects too. Well, I also like, Bridget, do you feel guilt when you spend money anymore? Have you ever felt like guilt when you spend money? <laughs> yeah, I have. I, <laughs> I know that you was have. Like some of my main uh, money trauma, and that's actually why I had like personal sessions with Chantel even before I joined the Trauma of Money course. Because yeah, I had so much guilt and anxiety about it. And it's actually interesting that you bring up like the money beliefs because Chantel actually had me write mine down at the time. And I did have like a lot of weird, random, negative uh, beliefs. And a lot of them came from my parents. Like one thing my dad always said, I'm sure he still says that is like, he would always criticize um, rich people for working so much. And he would say like, they don't enjoy their lives. He's like, they have money, but they're not happy. And so I actually even like made myself progressively more unhappy, the more I worked and grew my wealth. And so it took like quite a bit to unpack that. And yeah, I always felt guilty spending money on myself or spending things on things that are frivolous. And I mean, I credit a lot of that to the personal finance community, which I think prioritizes (laughs) um, having really large account balances and not so much on lifestyle. Like there's plenty of accounts out there that they live very, very frugal lives and their investment accounts are massive, like millions of dollars. And then they're like, oh, but we cut our own hair at home and stuff. And so I feel like because I was immersed in this community for 10 years, I thought like the most important thing was just having the highest amount of money in my bank account. And so it was really hard to spend money because mentally I was like, it makes the balance go down. But eventually now I just decided like, I'd rather have a good life than have the biggest number in my bank account. Yeah. What about, what about you, Parveen? Like, what are some of the money beliefs that you have unpacked in your own finance experience? It was definitely around spending money. Because like I said, like I was just very frugal um, given my upbringing. And I also did have like a traumatic moment where like we almost lost like our childhood home. And I was like being the eldest daughter kind of like 
at 16, really immersed in that and like translating mm-hmm. what the bank was saying to my parent. And so, oh my God, you had to spirit, translate to the yeah, bank for like, the, oh no, like yeah. what a role for you at 16 to yeah. be. You were like the third yeah. adult in the house. <laughs> Yeah. And I remember I actually created like a household budget and I walked into my high school counselor's office and she was white. And I told her what was going on. And I'm like, hey, I, this is the budget. My parents stuck to it. And she was like, Proween, this is not your responsibility. Mm, right? Like, yeah. go be a kid. And I was like, I wish she had a little, little bit more understanding of like just the cultural. What else are yeah, you supposed to do? That. In I'm, that like, situation. I'm like, I can't say, I can't just walk away from this. And that whole experience has taught me, like, okay, if you lacked money, that means you lack power, control, safety. Right. So that means if you have money, you have all those things. And so a lot of my, I would say, like, from my first jobs into my early 20s, like, mid-20s, like, I was just, like, saving. And I had a really mm-hmm. hard time seeing the balance in my account go down for, like, maybe a larger purchase or whatever it may yeah. be. Um but I think slowly over the years, and I think through my work, the trauma of money as well. Um, and I think also I read that book, Die With Zero, which I think you guys have talked about on this podcast. Oh, we're, yeah. I love well. that book. I'm obsessed. I, I recommend I, it daily. <laughs> I think like that also really changed my perspective too. Because I'm like, yeah, I'm going to die and leave all this money here. So it's like I might as well just spend it like now like in my youth when I can enjoy it versus when I'm in retirement and like old and won't be able to like retire or like or sorry travel or do all those things yeah um and so I think I'm trying to be a lot more intentional with just saying yes to opportunities things like travel which is really important to me um without feeling guilty and I think like even on the everyday scale and this may be something helpful for like the listeners too is I recommend setting up a separate spending account like for your spending well that's like a separate mm-hmm. checkings account mm-hmm. or like a prepaid debit card um just moving in some sort of allocated some amount of money each paycheck or per month onto that that you can literally spend on things you want for the purpose of enjoyment um i think was just really key for me because if once i started to get used to being able to spend like three hundred dollars a month on like just shit that i wanted sorry i swore i don't know if i'm not swear you can swear Um, okay cool (laughs) okay cool um like that also kind of like primed me to get better at sort of spending on larger amounts too yeah And on like the note of your counselor, who was very insensitive in that moment, like well-intentioned, but very insensitive, um, how do you feel like you've managed balancing Western ideologies and these like cultural values that you have? Like, because it's just very different, like how we spend money versus how you've been taught to spend money. So how do you find a balance there? I'm still finding that balance if I'm being like honest. Um, because the appeal of the Western ideology is very much you look you take care of yourself and like you are yeah. the, the most important yeah, you are the most important person, right? And I'm like, yeah. that would be awesome. Um, but just recognize I don't really have that privilege because my parents aren't in a position where I know, you know, they'll be able to retire, like there's still a mortgage on on the house. Mm-hmm. And so that always keeps me in this space of I just need to be making sure that I'm okay, yes, but that I'm doing things for my parents too. And that's something that I intentionally take on. Like, I don't think I feel in this point in time with where I'm at um, stressed out by that. I think in my early 20s, I was because again, I was just starting out making money and just trying to figure out my life. Uh, I think at this point in time, I feel a little bit more secure about like that path and what I, what I'm going to have to sacrifice in order to make sure that they're okay. 
what advice would you give to a listener that is struggling with like the same thing, but they're not there? Like maybe they're where you were in your early 20s. Like, how am I going to do this? Like, how am I going to overcome this challenge later in life? It's really overwhelming because the future is the future. Right. So it's like, it's not a, a yet. It's not like a yet <laughs> yeah. thing. It's not, yeah. it's not happening in the moment. What? So it's really I live hard. in the future. That's where I live. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we know that's and where then, I live. <laughs> <laughs> and that, and that kind of triggers us or right? that, that triggers the anxiety spiral. And that's where you start to overthink or maybe avoid your money or overspend it because everything just feels out of your control. Um, and so the best thing I, c- I always recommend to my clients is that you focus two weeks at a time. Like you focus to oh. like a paycheck at a time, like not six months from now, not three months from now, like, you know, years, two weeks, at a, two weeks at a time. Like you get to redo this every two weeks. Like if mm. these two weeks yeah. didn't go the way you wanted to, guess what? You got you to gotta restart, right? If you, are, if you are someone that earns a biweekly paycheck, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just the idea of like taking a really big goal or life event like that and just just narrowing your scope. Of like, what can I do today, this week, my next paycheck, right? And staying on that course, I, it's helped a lot of my clients just feel a lot more at ease and not so overwhelmed with yeah. the bigger stuff coming down the road. And so I much really of like it that. is like practice too. Like it's you do something and you get better at it. And I think yeah. people really think if they figure out their finances on paper, they're like, oh, it's done. I And it's not something I have to work on. But you do have to practice sticking to a budget. Yes. You do have to practice spending money on yourself guilt-free. It's like these are skills that you build and some of them do take years to build. So like there is a, like you're not going to feel perfect with your money right away. So I think like people just need to give themselves so much more grace that like it's a work in progress. Money is something you have to manage your whole life. So like it's okay to take years to work on it as long as you're moving in a forward direction. That's kind of all that matters. I feel like that is honestly why I haven't been stressed about money the last three weeks is I just had that like light bulb moment of being like, oh my God, I've done so well building these habits. And that is literally all it is, is Mm. that I've been doing the right things for six years now, seven years now. (laughs) And that is how long it took me to feel like, oh, if I I just continuously have been doing this for so long now that it is that like I've done the work. It's a habit now and I don't need to think about it anymore. And it's like such a powerful thing. But yeah, it takes like a long time to get there. And I think a conversation that kind of gets missed out in the personal finance space is sort of like the importance of resilience. Like mm-hmm. I've worked with with clients where like if something just doesn't go to plan when it came to their budget or their plan, like they just immediately shut down. Like oh, they no. just like, oh, they're like, they're like, it's ruined. I can't like, that's it. Right. right. And, and it's just because there's obviously a few different things of like being perfectionist or whatever it may be. But like, um, Again, like the idea that money doesn't feel safe or that we just don't trust ourselves to make good decisions with money consistently mm-hmm. is kind of a play. And so like the idea of like, yes, like I always say that life won't always happen according to the spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. Like it won't. Like it won't. <laughs> as much as we want it to. As much as we want. And, it, and it's always there for us to kind of come back to to ground ourselves in. But like yeah. shit will happen outside of that. And it's so important that we work on just being adaptable and resilient. And that's what I really coach my clients through. It's like, hey, this thing happened. Okay, great. But here's how we can adjust for that thing. And we just move forward. Guess what? You have to do it again in two weeks. Right? And so right. this just I, – I think it's just like the idea of like you got to keep trying. <laughs> you just got to keep trying. And I think that's something I've learned for myself too. And I think about 
the 12 years I've been on my sort of personal finance journey since the age of 16. Yeah, much longer um, than a lot of people. Yeah, that's um, really impressive. That... I didn't even care till like 25. <laughs> so you got a nine-year head start. You're going to be fine. But it's this idea that I think like I could have easily gone the other way and mm-hmm. just been like, F it right Mm -hmm. but it was just like I constantly tried with my money even if I had mistakes even if like things didn't go I kept pushing forward and that's I think what's made the difference for me yeah exactly it's not that just like I'm going to do this it's actually taking the actions to do it which we talk about so much on this podcast is it's the action not the goal yeah and also just knowing that you're going to be making mistakes at some point, like even now in my finances, I don't look at like my entire future, however many years I'm going to live and think, oh, I'm never going to make a financial mistake ever again. I'm like, there's lots of financial mistakes ahead that I don't know what they are, but it's going to happen. I'm going to overspend sometimes. I'm going to choose a bad stock. The important thing is that you don't do those things intentionally. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. There are mistakes afterwards. You didn't know. (laughs) Don't do it on purpose, but have like enough flexibility and resilience and also not your first action to go to beating yourself up for not being perfect because nobody is perfect with their finances. I agree. Okay. So one of the other things I want to talk about, and I feel like I can blend into this conversation now or like move into this conversation is like we've had a a whole episode dedicated to kind of talking about how we're going to raise our kids and like set them up for financial success. Um, but one of the things that I feel like would be really interesting to hear from you, Parween, is talking about generational wealth from your perspective as a woman of color, because I feel like we have a different view on this concept of generational wealth, why it's important for marginalized communities to build and pass down wealth. And I feel like it's, I see it all of the time on my Instagram feed and I find it super interesting. And I would love if you could kind of touch on this as much as you feel comfortable. Yeah. I think the idea of generational wealth is for marginalized communities is the fact that there hasn't really been wealth in the lineage to begin with. Um, and so we're doing something very new. Like it's very new for, again, whichever community culture that you're part of, um, for there to be financial success. And this idea that you don't have to be limited by money. You don't have to be stuck in survival mode, stuck in scarcity. Um, and that's a very new concept. And it's funny that I saw this one video on TikTok where it was like these celebrities, ultra celebrities, um, have been a bunch of them were like, yeah, we're not going to leave an inheritance or a large inheritance right. to our children. Like Ashton Kutcher and... Yeah. And I watched the video and basically everyone there was white except for Jackie Chan. There's just Jackie Chan. Everyone else was white. And they were all saying that like, yeah, like we're, we're going to donate it. Like we're not, we don't want to spoil them, like et cetera. And, oh yeah. We don't want to spoil them. That's like my favorite fake yeah. narrative. And well, sorry, I, go on. <laughs> Yeah, no, of course. And like, I just was like, I was like, I don't know how to feel about this. Because I was like, I'm not trying to feel like, sad for kids of celebrities. But at the same time, I'm like, that's <laughs> not how I would like, view the poor Nepo well. babies. Would, yeah, think of the Nepo babies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But for me, I'm like, I don't want my future kids to suffer. Right? Yeah, if I can give them a leg up, like I would absolutely do that. Obviously, with like, trying to give them like, financial education and all that stuff, too. But 
this idea that you're like, oh, they don't, they don't deserve it. Like they can just, you know, work hard like we did. That's not our perspective. And I sent this to my email list too. And the overwhelming response was like, yeah, that does not hit. Like that's, that's not why how we do I wealth. think white culture is bad with money. Like we're not very good. That's like, like I said earlier in this podcast, I really admire how other families like really support their kids well into adulthood. They do other things like I'm adopting those strategies for my mm. child. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna leave her high and dry. I'm gonna financially support her as long as she needs. And I'm not leaving her a big inheritance, but only because I'm gonna give her all the money before. <laughs> well, and it's like you said earlier in the podcast, Parveen, like the beauty of your culture is that it is many before one. It's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's really it, it can be a burden and it can be really stressful and overwhelming for the people who do have to take on that responsibility. But at the same time, you have such a great community. You have this feeling of being a part of something and like getting to support the people who supported you. And if you're just saying, you can't have my wealth (laughs) after I've done all of this work and like, I I don't know. It's just, yeah, I don't really love that idea either. Yeah. Yeah. So do you feel like as that person or in this experience that you are really focused on building that generational wealth for if you have kids for your future kids or for relatives in your family or whatever that may be yeah I think like for me it's 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 a bit like the idea of being there for the family and that lineage but I think also selfishly for myself (laughs) Um, (laughs) for me to be like hey I did that like I did that on my own as a South Asian like woman like no expectation for this to like be the case like I think it's also like the idea I want to be a mentor to other women similar Mm -hmm. upbringings right that can kind of relate to my experience to be like well I can do that too right because I think again like the the narrative that we've grown up with is that your husband will take care of you your in-laws will take care of you and then because like your your parents took care of you when you were a kid and so there was just no financial agency and there was always Mm -hmm. this idea like we had to be financially dependent on someone else right and so I think even for myself I'm it's like this very strong stance of mine for me to be like no <laughs> like I can do it on my own um and we as women can rewrite those generations of scarcity and money being only for survival you know ourselves it doesn't have to be you know just the men in our community to do that do you feel like that happens a lot the financial enabling in your culture oh absolutely absolutely and then I would also say with, with my clients with the way I like what comes up is that because these beliefs are there unconscious or subconscious or whatever um it kind of they make money decisions that are in alignment with that belief that like hey you know someone will save me so you know what i can overspend right. today right or i can't I ignore can i can i can't sure. ignore my debt right and it's because we think someone's going to come and save us Sometimes you don't like the people that are presented to you, though. I don't know. Like, my favorite show is Indian Matchmaker, and some of those girls are really picky. <laughs> They're like, no. And, it's like, <laughs> and I love how she's just like, it just has to be 80%, 70, 80% right. <laughs> and these girls are like, no. Like, yo, I mean, if your debt is really big, maybe you got to make some decisions. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to sidetrack that. I just love that show so much. No, that's fine. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Parveen. Oh, no, I just had this one point about the idea of accepting reality, too, which I kind of wanted to harp on. Um, oh, we love harping. Yeah. yeah, tell us. <laughs> so I think 
again, with the clientele that I work with, it's like this idea that, okay, you're making a certain amount of money, but a certain amount of money has to be put aside for your family, either today or for the future. Mm-hmm. And there can be resentment with that, for sure. And I think what I always sort of challenge my clients with is that we got to make a decision here, right? We can either accept the reality of this is what's going to be happening, $1,000 put aside that we can't access going towards your family, or you go back to your family and you say, I can't do this. Right. Ooh. And so it's, it's like, cause I'm also trying to get away with the excess mental energy that we spend just dwelling on right. this. And I'm like, either we accept the reality and we make your plan around this. Right. So you're still set up for success. Right. You're paying off your debt. You're saving, doing all these things with this included. But if that doesn't feel good, then what can we do in terms of reducing this amount that we need to be putting towards family? Or like, are you in a position where you can say that? Right. And I think another thing too is that, there are times where we just can't say no. And this is really weird mm-hmm. um, to, for a lot of people to understand is that we just can't say no. They're like, well, why don't you just like, just not give them any money? Like, just don't do it. I'm like, I wish I could explain. Because the that emotional really is so yes. high. Like, even if it's yes. not financial, they're going to make you pay for it. They're your parents. Yes. They, can, they can freeze you out. They can give you the cold shoulder. They can be Silent super passive aggressive at every family dinner thereafter. Like, it's it's not just like, oh, I'm not going to do this. And they're like, okay, cool. It's like that has significant consequences. They're just not financial ones. Yeah. Like on the yeah. mental health, emotional well-being. Like, yeah. I so it's never just a financial love- decision. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I just, I love so much that you said, like, your choices are either deal with reality or essentially change the reality. And the point of that is to stop the ruminating and agonizing over that. Like, that's such a profound statement. I th- I feel like that can be applied to anything, but that's such a good thing where it's like, this is the situation, either you go with it or change the situation and those are really your own choices like getting angry about it and stewing about it is a waste of your emotional energy which takes its toll on you yeah and it's also this idea of like just finding a way to to regain control too like when we accept reality it's like we regain our control right it's like we can kind of release all the bs and just be like okay this is what it is and then we can kind of refocus on like what's ahead um and I know I've dropped a few lines like this, but yeah, that's one of my favorite lines. Just tell my clients, like, we got to accept reality, right? And this can even yeah. be, like, if you're someone that has a lot of high fixed expenses, like rent, mortgage, car payment, and that's not really leaving you too much at the end of the month. And I'm like, hey, well, we need to accept reality here. Either we do something to change this or right. we make it work with what we have. Uh, and 100%. then my f- the best thing my therapist ever said to me about that, because I have a lot of control issues and it does bleed into my <laughs> money, <laughs> is that giving in is not giving up Mm. yeah and I think that's something that I think about anytime I'm struggling with like why isn't this going the way I want it to go it's just easier to give in yeah I like Mm -hmm. that I also (laughs) I also think in this context there's again that weird expectation that we all kind of want everything to be easy. We all want everything to be perfect. And we'd like to compare ourselves to other people. And you're like, well, someone else doesn't have this burden or this challenge to deal with. But in reality, I think everyone has financial challenges. Everyone has like hardships or things that they have to deal with that they don't want to. And 
like struggling in some capacity or having something that you have to work out or that you just have to deal with is like a very normal human experience in money and everything else. Yeah. Is the comparison a lot in this aspect? Like, do you find yourself always comparing when it comes to like, I have this burden and other people don't? Yeah, I think I think it comes up when I see personal finance advice, which is just has been more Western ideology, which is just like, Mm -hmm. here's how you save for retirement. Here's how you do this thing for yourself. And I'm just like, no, but what about all these variables? Yeah, I'm like, that's not we can't apply that. And so I think in that realm, and that's what I hope like, you know, my small pocket of the internet is for is just to kind of shed light on some of these issues and some of these challenges. Um, Because I do think it gets overlooked. Yeah. Um, when it comes to just like the the advice. Yeah, it's not so. just put away this percentage of your income and you're set. It's yeah. like put away this percentage of your income and consider your family and consider like all of this money trauma that you carry with you and the emotional yes. side of your money too. That's yeah. not a like clickable headline though, Alyssa. So no one's going <laughs> to write that. <laughs> That's not a warm and fuzzy Instagram post. We don't want our financial information with nuance. What a downer. How could we possibly talk about, yeah, the reality? It's just too sad. (laughs) Is there any, like, lasting comments that you want to leave with our audience, Parween? Yeah, I think it's uh, this idea, this identity like a lot of women have, women of color, women in general, which is that we're supposed to be bad with money. And it's like, I am bad with money is, like, something that I hear a lot. Um, And again, this idea of, like, trust. Like, we just don't trust ourselves to make good money decisions. And that's just kind of been thrown at us from different societal, cultural, et cetera. Um, and I think that's something that I really want to encourage people to start challenging is this, like, are you bad with money or has someone told you that you're supposed to be bad with money, right? Like, are you just kind of fulfilling this identity that other people have, like, told you to do, right? Um and just, I think just starting to question that because when you think that you're bad with money, you're going to make decisions that align with that identity. Like you're going to yes. ignore your money. You're going to like rack up debt. You're going to overspend and be like, F it. Like I'm already bad with money. So like whatever. And so I think you're just manifesting being, bad like, behavior. <laughs> yeah. And it's obviously a lot more uncomfortable for you to be like, okay, let me just like put money into savings or, you know, turn towards my money and like yeah. try to get control. Like that's hard. And I know that's hard. But I think the harder thing is just like when you make a financial mess for yourself and you're trying to climb out of that, um, like that's even harder. So I think it's just like mm-hmm. choose your heart, like face it now or <laughs> something's going to happen and you're going to have to face it. And it's not going to be as easy then. So, um, yeah, like you're not bad with money. You just got you just got to try. Like no one's, no so one's great. With, uh, I love this yeah, like advice. Your advice is just, your advice is basically like this is your situation. Just deal with it. But in a like kind, <laughs> compassionate, but very yes, very tone. compassionate. Yeah, I think it's just like I think it, like just don't. It's like the idea of being more intentional and mindful versus being really mindless with our money, which is just like yeah, yes. we kind of fall into this idea that like yeah, this is just how it's supposed to be, and we're supposed to be bad with money. Yeah, challenging the money beliefs that you've been given. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it. Before we finish today's episode, please promo whatever you want to our audience so they can find all of your stuff on social. 
Thank you. Um, so I think first things first, grab my free ebook, The Brown Girl's Guide to Building Generational Wealth. You can find Cute. that at the link in my bio uh, on my Instagram. Um, and the other thing I want to say is I think by the time this episode comes out is I'll be in the middle of my launch of my new program, The Brown Girl Money Trauma Collective, which is going <gasps> to be it. an eight-week um yeah, program focused on specifically money narratives, money trauma, being just a daughter of immigrants. Um, and so I'm really, really excited about this coming out. And so by the time this comes out, make sure to check my socials. I'll be promoting it. That's so I exciting. That. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Money Feels. You can subscribe to our podcast anywhere you listen and be on the lookout for a new episode next week. We're now officially on Patreon and you can listen to a bonus episode and gain other exclusive content from both of us there. Support us for free by leaving a review if you like today's episode and we'll see you next week. You can find Parween at parween.mander on Instagram and follow us on Instagram at Mixed Up Money for Alyssa, at Bridget Casey for me, and at Money Feels Podcast. And we'll see you next time. Yeah.